Hey, awesomes, it's Meg. Before we start this week's show, I wanted to let you know that Kelly and I actually recorded this episode back on March 7th. Now, that was only 20 days ago, but my goodness, it feels like a lifetime ago, right? I wanted to make sure I filled you in on that because we do mention the idea of quarantine almost in passing. And in the current reality of global quarantine and global pandemic, well, it might sound a little unawesome if you thought that we had recorded this episode like really recently. As of right now, Kelly and her husband, Corey, are working from home with their four kids there with them. They're all practicing safe social distancing and being smart about not going out too often. And it's the same story here. Of course, Kyle and I work from home all the time, but we have all five kids at home for the duration of the school year, and it's definitely shaking things up around here. And so speaking of that, I wanted to let all of you know that I've created a new community to help ease the transition that many families are experiencing right now in going from classroom schooling to homeschooling. This new community is a Facebook group that's called Suddenly Awesome Homeschooling. And just like our sort of awesome hangout, it has been created to be supportive, positive, and helpful. In fact, we have dozens and dozens of veteran homeschooling moms in that group who are volunteering their time, energy, and expertise to guide all of us who are now faced with the realities of schooling at home. I would love to have you join us there too and invite your friends who need a little boost of support as well. It's super easy to find us. We're at facebook.com slash groups slash suddenly awesome homeschooling. And of course, I'll put a link in the show notes for that group. So I hope that wherever you are, you are staying safe and sane in the midst of this pandemic. As always, thanks for letting us keep you company along the way. And now on to the show. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is sort of awesome. And welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We're in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. Well, this is episode 238 of Sorta Awesome. We are so glad that you have joined us today. If you are new to Sorta Awesome and you are loving being an awesome, we'd love for you to consider taking your awesomeness to the next level by becoming a sort of awesome superstar. Our superstars are our supporters on Patreon. And for $5 a month, they get access to hours and hours of bonus episodes of sort of awesome that will never be released to the public because over there we cover topics that we're maybe a little too shy to talk about on our Friday episodes. Our sort of awesome superstars also have access to an exclusive Facebook group. It's a little bit slower, a little bit more in depth than our main hangout group. And most importantly, you superstars who are listening, you know that you are helping to support a podcast and a community that's devoted to the mission of being awesome for ourselves and for the world around us. So if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can click on over to patreon.com slash sort of awesome and get all signed up over there. And I'll put a link in the show notes if you need it. Again, it's patreon.com slash sort of awesome. Well, this is episode 238 of sort of awesome. I'm joined today by my beautiful co-host, my longtime friend, who's taking a little break from her very important work as a public radio producer to come hang out and chat with us today. Ms. Kelly Gordon, how are you, friend? I'm good. And you know, you say that like I'm slumming by coming here. I love the sort of <laughs> no, awesome I didn't community. That. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it might not be as many hours as my day job, but it is definitely high in my heart. Thank you for that. Yes. No, I didn't mean it that way at all. Yeah. Just like you're out there, you're doing important, like world changing work on public radio. And then you come over and hang out with us and just chat and sip coffee out of your sort of awesome mug. That's exactly <laughs> right. You guys, we are recording in the morning and I had to actually wait to start recording this morning because the coffee wasn't done, you know, <laughs> priorities. And I realized as I got back to my desk that the mug I had grabbed is our sort of awesome mug from our old Zazzle store. It's the old logo. I'm not even sure you can get it. This is a collector's edition now. <laughs> I'm going to hold this on eBay someday. This is my kid's retirement. That and the Beanie Babies you have in your attic somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I do have some old Seventeen magazines. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. 
Those are actually probably are worth something somewhere. I don't know. Well, they make me laugh. I mean, that's really all that matters. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, this week's episode is such a treat. I cannot wait to get started. This is one of those episodes where the idea came from one of our awesomes. So back at the end of the year, we did a listener survey. And at the end, we asked you guys for ideas, anything that you wanted to share with us. One of the responses suggested that we do an episode on things that we wish we had known, things we wish someone had told us, things that we were kind of hashtag unprepared for. I was really intrigued by the topic. So I opened it up to the Hangout group. Kelly, almost 200 comments later, our awesomes had some things to say, didn't they? They did. And not just things like jaw dropping bits of wisdom. There were some funny things. There were some, wow, that is really true in the deep sense of life things. As usual, I don't know why we keep saying we're surprised by this because the awesome community is full of people who do have this wisdom and they get the ethic of what you're trying to do here in the world. So not surprised in a bad way, delighted. And wow, we were, I think overwhelmed is probably a big word. Like there's just so much good stuff out there. We were like, pretty much we could just come on here and read the thread to you and you would be like, yes, that's all I really need. So we did come up with a few of our own, but I don't know. I feel a little bit intimidated by the collective awesome <laughs> of the wisdom of the awesomes that is out there because it's a lot, you guys, you're impressive. It is a lot. We may even end up doing a part two because there was so much good stuff that was shared on this thread. So like Kelly said, we're going to share some things from our own lives. We're going to share some insights from the community. I do want to say before we get into the show that we're going to be talking about some things like parenting, marriage, sex, relationships, bodies, stuff that you may want to use discretion if you're listening around little ears. There may be some insights into life that we reveal that maybe your five-year-old's not quite ready to hear yet. <laughs> Yeah, don't sit your like five-year-old down and go, listen to this and you're going to be ahead because (laughs) then you'll know. No, some of this stuff, it just takes some time. It's a good warning. So again, use discretion, but we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. First, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. This is that moment in the show where we talk about, oh, whatever is making life a little bit more awesome right now. Books, TV shows, movies, podcasts, products, whatever is just making life a little bit more fun. So Kelly, what do you have for us this week? So I am bringing something that has really been the awesome of our winter and even here in March, which is one of those transition months, right? For lots of us, we have storms. The northern part of the U.S. for sure in Canada could still be dealing with snow. You're not quite out of the house yet. You know, it's not usually, maybe if you're in Texas, it's like weather where you can still like take the kids out to the playground. For a lot of us, we're in this weird in-between. So if you, like me, are feeling just a little crazy, like, oh my word, we've been inside so much. Let me reintroduce you to puzzles. That is my awesome of the week. Yeah. A couple that I specifically want to recommend. So a couple years ago, I started to think maybe this could be something that my family could do together when we are stuck in the house for whatever reason, coronavirus, sickness, weather. And it did turn out to be something that we don't all like sit down all six of us at one time and work on it together, but people at different times, if it's just out on the kitchen table, which is really our only table in the house. They will sit down and do this together because it's there, you know, it's just there. So I have found a puzzle company. They're called Buffalo Games. They're available on Amazon and who I think makes just really good quality puzzles, which is one of those things like their graphics are beautiful. Their pieces are well done. They don't come with lots of dust and they have that satisfying, like they're made well enough that they kind of snap together. I've bought some cheap puzzles at the dollar store or that sort of a thing where They're really thin cardboard. You know, they just don't hold up well. So I feel like these, these are by no means super expensive. They're all in like the $10 to $15 range. You can get them free shipping if you have Amazon Prime, but they're just really nice. So my very, very favorite one that I have done in the last 12 months is by Buffalo Games. It's drawn by an artist named Amy Stewart. It's called Pixels and Pizza. It's a thousand piece puzzle. So it definitely is one that is going to take you some time. This is not a one night sort of a puzzle. It took us probably two to three weeks. We did find it to be a lot easier than some other thousand piece puzzles that we have done that are harder because of they have like a lot of background. It's a lot of like, oh, like 20% of the pieces are just the pink background and you have to try to figure out where it goes. This one is, this is the reason that I really liked it. It's an 80s styled pizza parlor. So it's got like a booth with all of these accoutrement from the 80s. So many details, which is true of a lot of puzzles, right? You really get into it and see them. 
There's a foosball game. There's, of course, tons of video games in the background. Just the way things are written and styled and the soda cans, you know, so many things. There's the pitcher and the red cups that they always had at Pizza Hut. Oh, I'm like, I forgot those red bumpy cups. Yes. My gosh. That is such a moment in time. I totally remember that. Yes. And when you first look at the puzzle, you know, you're like overwhelmed. There's so many things. But as you're putting all these little pieces together, they have notes on the cash register and the way things are written. If you are of a certain age that had experience going to a pizza parlor slash arcade in your childhood or your teen years, I think that you'll really enjoy this one. Because it has so many details, it wasn't so hard to put together. There wasn't like big swaths of background. So that's been my very favorite one. But I will also say that I have really fallen in love with the 300 piece puzzles because those are like a couple day. It could even be an evening. So I'm going to recommend two puzzles that Buffalo Games also does that I have done 300 pieces. One of these we even brought on a family trip because, you know, they're not big. And, you know, we had it in the hotel room so that we could do it if we just needed something to do. So one is called Frosty Treats. It's a puzzle of all sorts of different colors of popsicles. So again, not a lot of background. It's kind of, you know, as you start to get into it, you're like, oh, well, this one is the pink and blue twisty one. And this one is the one that has kiwi fruit in it, especially for kids. I think for grade school kids, even middle school kids, it's really easy. I think even really preschoolers could help you with this because if you said, you know, here are the six pieces that's going to be for this one. Can you help put it together? They could do it. It's not going to be too overwhelming. Another one that we just finished today that is very similar is called Delightful Donuts. It's a 300 pieces, all sorts of different, again, very colorful, fun donuts. You know, it's just a fun thing to put together. The pieces are big enough with the 300 pieces that, you know, little fingers can hold it and been super satisfying. I think it's fun to have a little bit of mix of both. The thousand piece is great because you can sit down and work on it, but it is going to take more time. We have put together some pieces of plywood where we put the puzzle together on one big piece of plywood and we put the other pieces out on another. So because we only have one table, we have to move the puzzle. Everybody's here for dinner. We have not found the mats to be good enough for puzzle making. So that's what we have done. And then, yeah, it's really been the awesome of our winter this year because it's given us something to do, a way to connect. People will talk, you know, it's kind of like driving in the car. You know, you can just say things and how was your day? And you're not really looking at each other. I think even for teenagers, who you know are going to be more tempted by their phone, they'll sit down. In fact, we have joked my 16-year-old, his constant comment is, this is so stupid. Puzzles are stupid. As he sits there for an hour and works on it. Of course. So I'm like, do you want to work on the stupid puzzle? No. And then he'd sit down and do it with me. <laughs> yes. That is so fun. I love it. It's been really good. And I kind of had forgotten that puzzles are a thing. Very, very awesome. Love that. Okay. Well, my awesome of the week this week is also, you know, like you were saying, if you're kind of stuck inside or whatever, or if you're just looking for a new fun read, I have a book for you. It's a romance novel. The name of the book is Love Lettering, and it's by author Kate Claiborne. I heard about this book from our friend, Lee Kramer. Lee has been on the show on Sort of Awesome several times, mostly to talk about the Enneagram, although she did come to Sort of Awesome to talk to me about romance novels, which was so fun and really opened my eyes and my mind to the world of romance. And so on Lee's Instagram, she is constantly talking about books that she loves. And she's at Lee Kramer on Instagram. We'll put a link in the show notes for you guys if you want to check her out because she has fantastic taste, always has good recommendations. So when she talked about love lettering being one of her new favorite books like ever, I was like, okay, that's going on my list. I will tell you just a little bit about it if it's something that sounds like you might want to pick up because I really enjoyed it. It's so charming and just like a really sweet, whimsical story. It's a romance novel of the slow burn variety. So it starts with this sort of cautious friendship between our two main characters. It builds into a romance from there. I will say it is an open door romance. Okay, so explain some of your terms. Like slow burn, I think all of us were like, okay, I can figure that out if I didn't hear the episode about romance novels. Because I know that Lee does explain all those then. So what do you mean by open door? So open door romance means you do go into the bedroom, (laughs) sometimes metaphorically, sometimes literally, with the characters. So you're going to have full access to the intimacy scenes between the characters in an open door. Now, closed door is where You know, like you might imagine a TV show where it just kind of fades to black and you just use your imagination to fill in what happened. That's more of a closed door. But this is an open door. 
romance. But I will say all in all, it's not too spicy on the spiciness spectrum of romance novels. It tells the story of our protagonist. Her name is Meg. So, (laughs) so, you know, I was already hooked from the start. And not only is her first name Meg, her last name is Macworth. I happen to have a child named Mac. So, (laughs) oh, wow. I was very much team Meg from the beginning. Right. Yes, exactly. So Meg is a hand letterer. In fact, her job, what she's known as, is the planner of Park Slope. So Park Slope, of course, being the sort of she-she neighborhood in Brooklyn. What she does for a living is she creates custom lettered and hand lettered journals for clients. And she does all kinds of other little hand lettering freelance projects. The thing about Meg is she sees the world in fonts and in symbols. She's very like creatively minded. And so an interesting thing about the book is that it plays even the book, the text of the book, the words play around with fonts. And she talks about fonts and lettering styles and those types of things a lot in the book. So she strikes up an unlikely friendship with her love interest. He's a man named Reed who happens to see the world not in fonts and letters, but in numbers. He's a financial analyst. And so he's all the time looking for patterns and numbers and thinking about numbers and those types of things. So you can kind of see there's a sort of yin-yang thing happening there with them. So the story takes place in New York City. It packs a lot into one book. It's very chiclet rom-com style because it really deals not only with Meg's relationship with Reed, but also her other friendships and other relationships in her life. There's this sort of, surprisingly, there's sort of this like mystery thriller thread that runs through it, which was very unexpected. But all in all, it's just a very charming romance. It's beautifully written. It's packed with tons of little details. Kate Claiborne is a great author. She packs a ton of details into there that make it feel like a really realistic story. So if you like things that are lettering, fonts, or if you're just creatively minded, I think you will love this book. If you love a good New York City setting where New York City is like the Friends version of New York City, (laughs) not like the NYPD Blue version of New York City. (laughs) This is very true. That's a very good way to say it. (laughs) Then I think you'll like it if you like a slow burn, or if you just want to escape from the world a little bit, meet some charming new characters, some quirky people. I think you'll really like it. So again, it's called Love Lettering. It's by Kate Claiborne. We will put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. All right. Well, those are our awesomes of the week this week. We love to hear what's awesome in your life, you guys. So if you haven't, please come join us on Instagram at Sort of Awesome Show, where we talk about awesome of the week every Friday. And we also do that in our Sort of Awesome Hangout group. If you haven't joined us there yet, we would love to have you at facebook.com slash groups slash Sort of Awesome Hangout. All right, Kelly, let us dig into our own lives here for a moment. (laughs) We are women in our 40s who by now we've lived some life and we've learned some things along the way. Yes, I hope so anyway. My goodness, yes. There are things that we've learned that, you know, it would have been nice if somebody would have told us this before we set out on the journey of life. Why don't you kick us off from something from your life that you wish you had known? Okay, so I'm going to kick off with something that is a new thing. And I've actually been telling this to people in my real life because I really wish I had known before I automatically signed up all of my children for braces, which I actually haven't signed up all of them because I'm only halfway through the teen years with my kids. But not all teenagers need braces. And even if braces might be like, well, that would help their teeth look better. You guys, there are so many more options today. They don't have to get them when they're teenagers. Oh, really? Okay, this is interesting to me. Well, so this is a thing that is personal to me. But when I started to think about taking this to the show here, I thought, do I have any actual data to support my theory here? And I went online. I did find many orthodontists who do agree with this. They're like, you know, it used to be, and this is kind of where my theory comes, that if you were going to get braces, everybody did it when they were in middle school, early high school, because that was like the earliest time you could do it. And it's an already awkward phase. So let's just get her done. Like who as an adult wants to walk around with metal in their mouth? So it was like, if you were ever going to get braces in your life, that is when you should do it. So I think that that has been kind of the prevailing wisdom over the maybe the last 20, 30 years. And I would also say that as we've had this conversation in the Hangout, as our kids have gotten more accustomed to that, Almost all kids have braces today because of not actual issues with the mouth. It is lots of times just a thing where they just want to have straight teeth or the dentist is like, yeah, you know, probably this would be a good idea. 
Um, and so then the orthodontist is happy to oblige. So almost everybody has braces at that age anymore. And so I think that there's a lot of us who are just like, well, I guess that's just what we do. But I'm here to tell you that if your child is not dealing with some actual jaw bite issue, obviously there are reasons to get braces. And I think that my oldest daughter, Natalie, she got braces when she was in fourth grade first and then older because of a bite issue. Those types of things are not what I'm talking about. And of course, I'm not giving medical advice here. I'm talking about the kind of thing where they're like, well, they don't line up perfectly, you know, and well, you know, like we could make them straighter, especially if you have a kid like that who also has any kind of sensory issues or is already dealing with a lot in life. You guys, braces are a lot. They cost a ton of money. They are a lot of upkeep and they are really painful for many kids. So it is a burden that maybe we don't need to put on our kids at this age, not to mention the financial burden on us, but it is a lot to put on them. So I just am like, I wish somebody had said to me before Connor, who's 16, when he got braces, when he was probably 14 or just before he turned 14, his teeth were not horrible. They were like, you know, oh, well, there's some bite issues, you know, this or not bite issues, but teeth alignment issues. And like, it's not all lining up properly. He got his braces off just a few weeks ago. They gave us the pictures of his teeth before and after. I literally can't tell the difference. <gasps> oh, you're kidding me. Because they almost look perfect before. Yeah. And they're almost perfect now. Yeah. You know? Wow. So I'm like, that was three years almost of him having vast weeks where he could not eat, did not go to school, had to take pain medication. And I think that he has a kid with HSP, highly sensitive person. So for him to have metal in his mouth causing him pain that he could not remove was so anxiety laden and was so frustrating and like terrifying at times. It was not worth it. I'm like, this is the kid that I should have said, okay, so this is mostly a aesthetic thing. You can get braces. You could get aligners when you're an adult because how many of us, I'm raising my hand too, as adults now have gotten aligners. You can get these clear aligners when you're an adult. No one knows that you have braces anymore. It is not a big deal to do it an adult now. So you, I mean, it's not going to get cheaper necessarily, but I'm just thinking, man, if my kids were only getting braces for aesthetic reasons and they had any other things going on, I would be very hesitant to do it when they were teenagers. I would most likely say, look, this is a thing that you may want to deal with when you're an adult. You can deal with it when you're an adult. I'm not going to add this onto your plate right now. I don't really want to pay for it. It doesn't have to be a given. And I think that there are more and more parents who are saying, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Like we have all of these options today for adults to do it, to take care of it. It doesn't have to be done when they're 13 unless there's a medical issue. I wish I had known that three years ago. It would have saved me a lot of stress in the parenting realm. I'm so glad you're saying that. Daisy, our oldest, has been begging for braces for years. She's a freshman now and we've been hesitant. But, you know, this is a really good point is that she is a sensitive person for sure. And she does not handle pain well. I remember the pain of braces and crying, laying in my bed, crying after getting them tightened and just how miserable it was. I hadn't thought about it from the parenting end of, you know, going through that with a kid and maybe thinking, maybe you do wait until you're an adult and see what is the best option. So that's very good. I'm glad you're telling me this. This is why we need to talk about these things. I do feel like I need to put a big, big disclaimer if there's any orthodontists who are listening, but saying, whoa, whoa, there are lots of people who need braces. There are kids who need braces. So that is not what I'm saying. So don't just be like, well, I'm just not going to worry about that. Listen to your orthodontist. I'm not a medical professional, but I just wish that somebody had given me an idea that maybe not every kid needs braces or maybe you could wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get it. That's so helpful. Speaking of somebody just giving you an idea, the first thing that is on my list is I wish I had known, I wish I'd someone had given me the permission to know that I can fix things my own self. I don't have to hire someone. I don't have to have a man do it for me. Although I do have a man in my life who's perfectly willing to help me with things. But it has been so empowering as an adult. I would say probably in my late 30s and into my 40s is when I really discovered this. I don't have to hire people. I can fix things. I grew up with parents who very much like if, and I've said this on the show before, I'll say it again. If something was broken in our house, they either hired someone to fix it or they just threw it away and got a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so I've talked about on this show, I was so proud of myself when I realized that I could 
simply replace a broken refrigerator drawer instead of just being like, well, now we got to get a new refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) A whole new refrigerator. But yeah, you know, sometimes it's just like, well, I don't know. They don't make that model anymore or whatever. It seems like a lot of work, which is funny because I think that young people today, like I'm not saying like, oh, the young generation. I'm just saying, I think we have all been trained more than people our parents age that Ikea generation, you know, like just go get a new one. It is cheaper. It is easier. So that's very interesting. So you fixed your refrigerator drawer? I did. The drawer, well, the drawer had broken. It had cracked in it. We had just kept using it and using it as this crack got worse and worse and worse until finally I was like, I mean, it's just the drawer. And so I did a little Googling, gave it a Goog and found, yeah, on Amazon, you can just order replacement drawers and it's there in like 48 hours. (laughs) It took me less than five minutes to replace it when it got here. So that was a revelation to me. I have cleaned out the big dryer vent, not the little one that's the inside the door of your dryer, but like the big one that goes to the exhaust vent, I think it's called. Yeah, that's a big job. Yes. I have even cut my own hair because once I started wearing my hair curly, it's really hard to find somebody who can cut curly hair the way it needs to be cut. And now that I have a baby, it's really hard to get into the salon. I already have salon anxiety. I already talked about that on the show. So I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos and I've been cutting my own hair and it's fine. And I never would have thought that when I was like growing up or in my 20s or in my 30s even. That's funny because I feel like Laura Tremaine would be like giving you side eye right now. (laughs) She probably would be. She'd probably be like, you can, but you don't have to. (laughs) And I know that. But I think with curly hair, that's especially true. And maybe people who have just straight hair, if you're just wearing it straight and long, like same thing, you can do this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I loved one of the awesomes. Awesome Amy said, I had no idea I was supposed to get oil changes. I was 18 and my engine blew up. My dad was so mad at me. He had bought the car. I still remember thinking, how in the world was I supposed to know that what it took to maintain a car? Maybe someone should have told me. So I mean, there's all kinds of like practical life skills, I think, that if we just assume or we never are told how to do something. But I'm just loving the fact that I've discovered that I didn't know this, but I can actually do things myself. So now I haven't changed the oil in my van. Now, Kyle likes to do that on his truck. He just is like, it's just so easy. And I just save so much money. So he does that for his truck. No, I do not. I do still have a professional change the oil in my van. But I do know that you have to take it in to get those oil changes done. So, (laughs) right. Well, and I think what you're saying is it's not that everything is worth doing. It is the realization that you can do it. That maybe you were like, it didn't cross my mind that this was a possibility. It's so empowering, I think, is the thing to know, like, I can do this. And besides, in the world of YouTube, I mean, what a world we live in. If you can think of a thing that you want to do, you can find someone to teach you how to do it on YouTube for free. For the most part. This so. is very true. You just reminded me that I have done so much work on our pool in the summer. That's why we did a whole thing. Was it an awesome of the week? I think one time where I was saying, hey, there's this website that I use and I do all of the maintenance and a lot of the repairs and troubleshooting on our pool myself. And it is, it's empowering. So, you know, people come out and they're like, well, have you checked this? And I'm like, um, that's not even a thing. Like, don't even try to, you know, BS me. Like, I know. And they're like, oh, you've learned. And I'm like, thank you to you too. (laughs) Yes, totally. That's always the case. But yes, it is. It's empowering. I love that. So that actually really leads right into my next one. This is a little more serious, you guys. But I was like, this is real. Patriarchy and racism are real things. Can we just like have a moment? Because what you're saying about not really even entertaining that you can fix things, for me, that would have come from the patriarchy. Like the idea that you're a woman and that's not what you do. And like men have these roles and women have these roles. And I would also say, this is like a side lesson, is that not everything in our culture has to have a biblical tie. Like I also grew up believing that like literally everything that we did and believed was because of the Bible. So like everything had to tie back to the Bible, where I think it would have been nice if people had just said, I'm uncomfortable around naked people. So let's not go look at the David sculpture instead of saying, Nudity is unbiblical. Like everything had to be <laughs> biblical. So like a, a woman fixing her car would be like, well, that's unbiblical. Not just oh, like, well, I don't think I need to dear. do that. You know, yes. I know. <laughs> I know there are awesomes out there who are shaking their heads vigorously right now because you understand it. 
It's a weird thing, you know, like short hair on boys, long hair on girls. Biblical. It's taken me a very long time, I think because of how I grew up and just, you know, maturity to really feel like in the last 10 years, scales falling off of my eyes and seeing, you know, I was taught when I was a kid that like the Equal Rights Amendment, like, you know, that women just wanted special treatment, you know, like all these things to recognize that no, really, the world is run by white men where we are right now and for sure in America, but in much of the world, that is our history in the most recent past. And just recognizing that and saying that, of course, then means certain things. It doesn't mean all bad things, but that's just reality and racism the same way. You know, I was, again, not taught a history that is true of what happened in America, for sure, and around the world. Just coming to grips with the fact that these are real systems that are still alive and it is the air we breathe, the water we swim in. It takes some time for us to start to see them, I think, if we were not shown that maybe when we were kids. Maybe you grew up in a home that was like, yes, these are real things that you know are not right. This is not how humans were meant to live. Then it wouldn't be so hard for you. But I think for me, I wish that I had seen some of these things earlier in my life. I wish I had known that it wasn't just a false charge and that I would have been able to reckon and maybe separate some things like, well, this is because of the patriarchy. And then this is a thing that we can talk about because there was just, I think, some time that was wasted, you know, where I wasn't, I want to say like fighting for justice, but I was not helping for sure. I was so deep in the system. I couldn't recognize the system. So like the matrix. Anyway, that's like a heavy one, but there's so many things that now my husband will roll his eyes that something will happen and I'll go, oh, the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. But I'm like, but to me, here in my late 40s, I'm still just starting to recognize like that that's why we do that. And that's why that thing is valued. And like, why are, you know, like women never studied in science the way that men are? And why do women wear these sorts of suits? And why do women, when they run for office, are talk about their clothes all the time and their shrill voices? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I could do a whole side rant. I won't, but I could do a whole side rant about women and voices and how that plays into our culture and into our industry, into the podcasting industry. And I'll save that for another day. But yeah, yeah so no, I'm just saying that's the thing that happens for me at work, you know, like not for me in particular, but we hear that a lot and we would see it with even the women politicians. Like it's just, it's a thing. And I think that when you start to recognize it, all of a sudden, it's like when you're buying a car, right? And all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. That's what's happening for me right now is I'm like, oh, these things, they're everywhere. Mm, yes, I get it. I totally do. And that's a big reason why we have been really intentional about the school choices and activity choices we've made for our kids, because we want them to grow up where exposure to these different viewpoints that are very different from the white middle-class home they're growing up in are like the norm for them so that when they do really get out into the real world and really experience these systemic things that are happening, it won't be such a shock. They're like, you know, already prepared for these kinds of things. So, okay, since you did a kind of more serious one, I'm going to do my more serious one and get it out of the way. <laughs> but one thing that I genuinely, truly, truly wish I had known is that anger, especially anger to the point of rage is a sign of depression. Yes. So, yes. I grew up with a parent who struggles with mental illness and had a lot of anger and rage, but I never knew that that was connected. This parent's mental health was never like a topic of like discussion. It was a reality, but there was never like a discussion of like, this is why these things happen. And so I grew up sort of being formed in my understanding of depression by pharmaceutical companies in their commercials on TV, like genuinely, like, you know, you see people, these commercials for different treatments for depression. And it's like somebody laying in bed and the room is dark and all this, which is very true. I would never say that's not depression, but I just genuinely never knew until I experienced postpartum depression that anger, especially rageful anger is a big sign of depression. And so after the twins were born, I was several, several months into postpartum depression. And I talk a lot more about this on our episode about postpartum depression. 
But I was several months into it before I realized that the rage I was experiencing, and it's really hard to say that out loud, Kelly, especially as someone who is, I'm not like an angry person. Of course, I can't even admit that I have anger, right? <laughs> Let alone rage. But to experience that out of control, like it feels like it is burning you up from the inside out kind of level of rage. At, mine was directed at my children who I love and adore. And I should have been able to be enjoying the infancy of our twins. Anyway, I did not know that until some friends pointed it out to me. And I started treatment for postpartum depression then. And it was so helpful, but also it took me years, literally, to be able to have self-compassion to look back and be like, you didn't know. It took me a long time to forgive myself for that rage. I didn't know how sick I was. So anyway, whenever I hear a new mom talking about, or even if they're like a little ways into parenthood and they're talking about this rage they're experiencing, I always kind of like either online or in person, kind of pull them aside a little bit and be like, just so you know, this can be a sign of depression. It's worth talking to a healthcare provider about. So that's a big one for me. That's such a big one. I remember I have not struggled with postpartum depression, but a very good friend of ours, I was with her when she had her first. And I remember we were in a mops group together. And I remember distinctly her having that exact same realization in like our little group, we were meeting after a presentation on postpartum depression. And she's like, but you guys, everyone's angry all the time at their kids, right? And we went, no. And she just burst into tears because like you're saying, I think it's especially hard for women because the patriarchy and for lots of reasons, we don't want to accept that we're angry. And or I think that we want to be like, well, everybody's angry, you know, like, so to recognize that something else was going on is so hard, but it is such an important thing. And I think that a lot of us think of depression as sadness. Right. And it and so that's well for be. her. Yeah. She was like, I'm not sad. I'm happy I'm a mom. I'm just like angry all the time. And we were like, Yeah, you should see, you know, bring it up to your midwife. And she very quickly got into medication. But that realization really changed her life. And watching her go through that changed mine. So it is definitely something that I am now aware of that I also, even it's not a personal, I wish I knew. I'm so glad you said it because I think that more women, even out of postpartum depression, just regular depression, right, yes. saying if you're feeling a lot of anger and a lot of, especially like you said, rage, like seek help. Maybe you have another issue. It might not be depression. There's something else. But yes, that can be a really big red flag that often is overlooked when it comes to women and their mental health. Totally. Okay, guys, maybe you're liking it. I have one that's not as serious at the end, but <laughs> I have one more that's serious. And this is a big one that I truly, this is the thing I say to a lot of people. I wish that I had known that the person that you marry will not be the same person that you are married to in 20 years. Oh, yes. I will testify. That is so true. Yeah. I did not think about this. No one told me this. There's so much pressure when you are in those dating years trying to find a partner on finding the one or finding somebody who's very compatible and you go through counseling and they're like, oh, all these things, you know, find this, find that. Here's the thing. That's great to start off with. And I'm not saying that that's not important. You know, sometimes those things that you're identifying are like character issues that you're thinking, how is the foundation laid for how we're moving forward? But here's the thing. Life happens and very likely the person that you married and you in 5, 10, 15, for sure 20 years will be a almost completely different person than you were when you said I do at the altar. So I don't want to put too much stock into those early things because people change. The whole point of marriage is to try to change together and to change in such a way that you can learn to grow together. But that doesn't always happen. <laughs> I was told again when I was young that like divorce happened because people made bad decisions. Like they weren't wise, they were foolish. Well, also now I would say people have changed in such a way that they are no longer compatible and it is not healthy for either of them. So I wish that I had known how much we continue to change as adults, that our outlooks change, our values can even change, the way we express ourselves in the world changes. We, especially if you got married, like both you and I did, Meg, when we were early in our 20s, but even if you, I think really any time in your 20s, there's still so much 
formation happening, you barely even know who you are yet. Probably your partner is in the same position. So there's just going to be a lot of change. So you really are taking a leap of faith when you marry somebody. You are saying, I don't know who I will be in five years. I don't know who you will be in five years. I have done as much as I can to say, I think we can do this together, right? But you just know going in that this person that you are saying I do too will almost be unrecognizable, possibly in 20 years. Like you'll be able to see them, but you will be like, wow, there's so much that's different and that's okay. And that's normal. The whole test of marriage is to try to do it together and grow toward each other instead of away, which is a hard, hard thing. And that's a whole other thing. But just know that the person that you marry and you will be a completely different person in 20 years. Absolutely. All I can say to that is amen. That is the absolute truth. Yes. All right. The last one on my list is not quite as serious. It does have to do with the topic of breastfeeding, which I think every woman who has breastfed for one day or one year or however long would say, there's so much I didn't know about breastfeeding. Why didn't somebody tell me? Even though today there's probably tons more material available to moms, it's still just like such a mystery. And yet it is the way that humanity has <laughs> continued on for millennia. And why don't we talk about it, Meg? I it's know. the patriarchy. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the subtitle for this episode. <laughs> patriarchy. Ugh. Like they say, Emily and Amelia Nagoski in that book. Yes. I was going to say in Burnout. Burnout. Yes, yes, exactly. They talk about that patriarchy. Ugh. Okay, go. So breastfeeding. <laughs> okay. So I did not know that you can breastfeed, have a wonderful, healthy breastfeeding relationship with your baby and only one of your boobs work. <laughs> That has been the case for me. I found out early on with Daisy, who is now 15, that only my left breast is a good breastfeeder, my right side. To this day, I do not know what is wrong with it. I have five children. Not a one of them have wanted to nurse off of my right side. Now with the twins, when I was breastfeeding two babies, I did for a while use, successfully use a nipple shield on my right side so that I could tandem breastfeed them. It wasn't great. It wasn't pretty, but it worked for a while. But with all of the other kids, I just gave up. I mean, the weird thing is, Kelly, is that the right side, it does produce milk. There's like nothing wrong with the actual like milk maker part. There's something literally wrong <laughs> with the nipple on my right side. And this is one of those things where, you know, so many women kind of like, if they don't have, the breastfeeding relationship that they had hoped for, that they had envisioned. You know, a lot of women struggle with guilt and disappointment, frustration about that. And it's like, I'm doing everything everyone told me to do and it's still not working. Like, thank goodness I do have my trusty left breast that is totally great at nursing babies. <laughs> oh, the trusty left breast will save us all. <laughs> I mean, look at Nico. I mean, obviously the child's not starving, but I only can nurse him on one side. And so, yeah, I just, I wish someone would have told me that. And also I think bigger picture is that I wish that I would have known that there's going to be so many things in parenting that you're like, I don't think anybody else is doing it this way, but it works for us. So I'm just going to keep doing it this way. And that would have given me so much more peace of mind when I was starting out on this parenting journey. And to this day, here I am doing this whole infancy thing again. There are things that I'm like, mm, I guess this is okay to do. It seems to be working. Let's just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some ways, that's the overarching lesson, I think, is that there's so much to discover about parenting that is not in a book that's going to be unique to you and your child and that changes even from child to child, that it is always a process of discovery, you know, which probably is frustrating to many of us who want to plan and feel secure and solid that it, it really is an adventure. Okay, so I have one more, Meg, which is funny because like it was hard to limit my lessons once I really started to think about them. This one is a light one. We'll end there before we talk about some of the awesomes comments. This is my lesson that I wish I had known, awesomes. Don't move the meat in your frying pan if you are cooking meat too soon. You need to sear it ah, and then it will come away. Yes. So here was my thing. As I learned to cook in my 20s, I hated to wash dishes and hated it when like the chicken would stick in the pan if I'm like, you know, just cooking some chicken breast in a pan. So I'd put some oil down and then I'd put the chicken in and then I would start to move it all over. And guess what would happen? It would stick. <laughs> You'd pull it away and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to scrub that pan. I don't have time for that. 
It was not until I was in my 30s for sure. And I started to watch Alton Brown on the Cooking Network, where he said, you need to get a hot pan, have some sort of, a, you know, an oil, put your meat in and then leave it until it forms a crust. And then it will release from the pan without any issue. And it's going to taste better. My mind was blown. Like that whole, like I was like, I didn't know that. No one told me this. My mom is an amazing cook, but she likes to cook her food and her meat in particular until they are well done, like well, well, well done. So she has, now I recognize some oddities about how she cooks. Like she doesn't like meat pink, doesn't like runny eggs, like all of her probably, you know, sensitivities to food change the way that like I learned to cook from learning to cook from her. So I did not know, like if I want that nice sear, if I want that nice crust, you have to leave it, leave it alone, which is actually easier. You don't have to stand there and fuss with it. Stick it in the pan, walk away, come back in five minutes. I don't know. I like that crust. I do too. The longer, the better. You know, if it comes back and it's even like a little bit, you know, charred on the edges, I'm like, excellent. (laughs) And you have less mess to clean up, you guys. So that's my, I wish I had known a lot earlier. I would have eaten a lot better and more tastier food. Absolutely. Testify about that too, because that crust is well worth the searing that goes on for sure. That's the point of the meat. That's right. That's right. Okay. So those are some bits of wisdom from our lives. Maybe it's something that you can take away and apply to your life as well. Things we wish we had known. So we wanted to get into some of the ones you guys, the awesomes shared with us in our hangout community. Again, there were so many. This is a sampling of the wisdom that was shared in this thread. Kelly, would you want to kick us off with one of the ones that stood out to you? Yeah. So you guys, there were so many good ones. I'm going to combine a couple here from Becky and and Katie. They both said, I'm going to read them both, but Becky said, I wish someone would have told me that exercise benefits me in ways other than physical fitness and losing weight, that it has brain and mental benefits too, you guys. And then Katie had said kind of, tag teaming, I wish someone had told me that strength training would not make me look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was like, preach girl, because that's a big lesson that I have learned from nutritionists. I would say even the last five years that when it comes to weight loss, really exercise isn't about weight loss. Exercise is about how you feel, how your body works and all the things it does in our brains. If you're trying to lose weight for whatever reason, lots of times it needs to come back to what we eat or don't eat. So like, People will be like, I'm exercising five days a week and I'm not losing any weight. That's not the point of exercise. Exercise has all of these benefits that we don't talk about enough. It's not just about being physically fit. It does so much for our brains and strength training in particular. Of course, I've taught strength training for years, so I'm biased, but is so good for us as women to be strong. It makes us feel empowered. It's what we need to help with our bones as we get older. Like it's just exercise. And there is probably something that you enjoy out there. We've talked about that before. Like, I bet if you're like, oh, I just hate it, though. Keep looking. You know, it doesn't have to be a marathon. There's so many ways to exercise. I love their comments. I was like, yes, I also wish I had known that when I was young. Thousand percent. Yes. So true. I'm going to share one that awesome Amy shared, but this was echoed by many people in that thread. She said, I wish I had known that going to a trade school and learning marketable skills is better than going to a four-year university and picking something not too hard just so you can end up with that bachelor's degree. She said, I always tell people that I do have a bachelor's, but what have served me best was learning how to cut boys' hair. (laughs) And she's, you know, kind of making a joke there at the end, but so many people chimed in. I wish I would have known you don't have to go to college. I wish I would have known, don't get yourself into so much student loan debt. People talking about, you know, feeling like they're going to be drowning in their student loan debts for years. Reading through that thread really affirmed something that Kyle and I have really been thinking about. Even though both of us, we had parents who absolutely drilled into us, you have to, have to, have to have a college degree. We're, you know, Dicey again, she's a freshman in high school. We're starting to look ahead and think like, what does the future look like? How can we best guide her and all of our kids? Do we want to move towards a university track or are there other things that we should consider in Something that my parents actually probably would have been fine with is this idea that many students are doing now is starting more at the community college level or at a junior college, you know, starting out with a place that's going to be much more affordable, especially in those first years when you have no idea what it is you want to do with your future. Don't get yourself locked into a bunch of student loan debt when it may not even ever serve you well in the future you have ahead of you. So that's a composite of lots of people's they wish they had known had to do with 
university, college degrees, and especially the debt that comes with it. Yeah, I had marked those as well, because that is also a thing that I have learned. And I could probably do a whole show on it because I feel so passionately about it. And it has been one of those things that I had not really considered. Feels like it's changed. It really has changed. And it's wise for us as parents to be recognizing that it is a different world. This idea that everybody goes to college and this is just what you do and you take out the loans to get there has not served an entire generation well. So just to be rethinking that. And the cool thing is that it's actually really exciting. So I was so encouraged to see so many awesomes mention that one. Okay, I have one. And man, is this true from Heather. She said, buy nice or buy twice. I will continually surprised at how spending money on real brands instead of knockoffs is money well spent. It's worth the extra cost. You know, she said, I'm thinking especially like Ugg boots, Birkenstocks, made well quality furniture, et cetera. And so many awesomes were like, oh my word, yes. And this is a thing. I mean, I don't remember what episode it was, Meg, but that you and Laura talked about with fashion, where you're talking about the difference between cheap fashion and good fashion and investing in quality pieces that you can use for years, even though it costs more money. And it is a lesson that I think many of us, maybe because of our upbringings, maybe we had parents who really valued, you know, wanted us, maybe had to, you know, like we have to just look for the cheapest options. I also think that in our culture, we have not had prices go up. We are very spoiled with like, well, I'm not paying more than $5 for a t-shirt, you know, sort of a thing, because we do have these options that are out there. And so then we just get in this mindset of, well, let's just buy the cheapest thing possible, or I don't want to pay for quality. And I don't think it serves us well. I don't think it serves our wallet well in the long run. And it certainly doesn't serve the environment well, or, you know, cultures, there's problems with our obsession with wanting to pay the least amount for all the things that we consume here in America. So a really good lesson. So, so good and so true. Okay, this next one is from Awesome Resi. She even maybe thought this was to me a little bit too TMI, but I think it's really important to talk about. It has to do with sex, you guys, so get ready. Okay, so she says she grew up in a conservative home. Sex was never really talked about. When her mother did talk to her about it after she got engaged, it was just more of like, this is your duty as the wife kind of conversation. So she was really terrified of sex going in to the point of having, and I don't know if I'm going to say this right, vaginismus, which is vaginal clamping. She wrote a really great story. I'm going to condense it down. But basically, after she and her husband got married, it took them four weeks to be able to actually have sex. They were virgins going in. But because she was so terrified, had a lot of anxiety and was having this physical reaction that involved her vagina actually clamping down. They literally could not have sex. Well, a couple of weeks after they got married, they ended up moving to a different country and she made a really good friend. And this friend was about to have her third baby. And so she said she just broke down sobbing and was like, how do I literally do this? So the friend went in her bedroom and came back out with lubricated condoms and a bottle of lube and was like, try this, go slow, this will help. And so she said after four weeks, they were finally able to have sex. And it was all because they just needed that extra support from some lubrication and it changed everything. And so her advice after her story was to use all the lube that you need, make a mess, relax, have fun, know that you are loved, love making love to the love of your life for the rest of your life. It ended on a positive note, but definitely, you know, Kyle and I got married very young. We had waited until we were married. Somebody in my life, I can't remember who, somebody was like, here, try this. <laughs> and I'm so glad because this is one of those situations where we don't talk about these things a lot, but it can make a huge difference in your enjoyment of sex and your sexual health and well-being, which is a really important component of your overall holistic health and life. So I'm so glad that Awesome Resi told her story. Thank you, Resi, for sharing that. I hope it helps somebody out there to know that Sometimes in matters of intimacy, you got to just try new things and see if there's something else that could help you enjoy things more. So, Okay, I have one more. And this one is just, it feels so with the sort of awesome ethic of that we put out here. It's from Anna. And she said that the only way to find my genuine best friends was to be my genuine best me. Yep, I love and that one. all of the awesome said, amen. Yes, because that is, kind of what we're preaching here. We're saying that if you put good out into the universe, if you work on you, if you do the things that you want others to do, we believe that that is creating a world that will mirror that back to you. It doesn't mean that every, it's not this 
promise that like, oh, well, if you're kind to others, others will be kind to you. But we do think that we can change the world one small action at a time. And one of those ways is embracing who you are and being your best self, being confident in who you are. And then people will be drawn to you instead of trying to say like, well, who do I need to be with this person? And I feel so like, I don't know. So just learning to have that stand up straight, smile, confidence and joy in who you are. It's the best sort of a thing. It absolutely is. One last one I was going to mention, my very dear college friend, Jonna. Hi, Jonna. Mentioned this. She was one of my sorority sisters. We've been through those years together. But she said that lack of sleep at any age will affect your mental health. Kelly, you can testify to this. In fact, we have a whole Patreon bonus uh, conversation between you and Laura talking about how lack of sleep literally, literally affects your mental health. And this is at any age, truly. It really is. And it's one of those things that I do wish I had known. I could have put this on my list, Jonna, because I think that in our culture, we just dismiss sleep. We act like it's this thing that's just maybe nice to get, or we make up on the weekends, or we are kind of proud that we don't need as much. And none of those things are true. Like if we were talking about oxygen that way, you know, like, oh, I don't need much oxygen. I can get, you know, like my heart is having a hard time beating. There's so many things that tie back to sleep. And this even goes to how disconnected our minds are from our bodies, the way we look at ourselves. We're not holistic. So many things tie back to sleep. And so when people are like, I'm just so cranky or I'm just so foggy or I can't remember things or I'm irritable all the time. How much sleep are you getting? Oh, well, I didn't think it was that. Is there a pill I can take? You know, is there a supplement? How about we start with sleep? So yes, just recognizing how important it is and how much if we really focused on it, I think a lot of the things that we wonder about in our lives, I for sure have had those experiences of suddenly getting the right amount of sleep and just being completely blown away by how different I feel, how I walk through my life when I actually just have the sleep that I need. Like that's in some ways we look at it as, well, that's just a small change. Yeah, but it's a huge, huge results maker. Yes, totally. Okay, well, one last one to close the show with. (laughs) Well, two. One is very sweet from Jillian. She says that when she had a computer with dial-up internet when she was in middle school, there was so much talk about not talking to people on the internet. She said, nobody told me I would have really good friends via the internet, nor that I would regularly talk to people on the internet, nor that I would meet people from the internet mind blown. And I think our awesome community is all saying, amen. I know so many people have met dear, dear friends through sort of awesome. It makes my heart so happy. So last one is from Bryn. This made me laugh so much. She said, there are two types of people in the world, those who pee in the shower and those who lie about peeing in the shower. (laughs) Kelly, you disagreed with this one. I disagreed. When Meg said that she was going to put this in, I was like, well, I got some feelings about this because I have never peed in the shower. And you guys, it's because the toilet is six inches away from the shower. (laughs) Seriously, I have peed in many a lake and in many a pool. I have gone camping. This is not a prudish thing. I'm just like, it's right there. Like, it's not that hard. Doesn't everybody pee before they get in the shower? Anyway, that's the other thing. I literally, I could have peed two seconds ago, but if I'm going to get in the shower, I sit down and pee. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, so I'm just like, I don't understand that. (laughs) Also, people who blow their nose in the shower into their hand and then like run it down the drain. I'm like literally Kleenex right there. I don't understand. Well, it's a good thing we don't share a home because I both pee in the shower. (laughs) I'm a shower peer and a shower nose blower. (laughs) Oh, well, now it's all over, Meg Teets. I hope I get to see you later this year, but we're going to be like, I'm going to be in the bathroom. I don't care. That's the thing. I have probably family members that are shower peers. It's not like I'm like, I can't step in that shower. I'm just like, it's right there. It's just, hey, listen. It's the people who don't put their dishes in the dishwasher who put them in the sink. I'm like, like literally, it's six inches. It just, right. Yeah. You could just do it. Just do it yeah. all the way. Yeah. I will hurt someone for that. But listen, it's good for the planet. You can save so much water <laughs> by not flushing. <laughs> I'm not buying that, Meg Cheats. I mean, okay. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> We'll take a casual poll, the awesomes, to see who out there is peeing in their shower and who is rather disgusted by it all, like Ellie. (laughs) I always say disgusted. I just don't understand. It makes my inner, like, Snoopy go, I don't get it. It's a wonderful, like, rebellious feeling. Like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it. It's like a little act of rebellion in your day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Kelly, if people want to follow up and tell us something they wish they had known, where can we find you all around the web? 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly Gordon MN for Minnesota MN, or of course, in the Sort of Awesome Hangout group in the Superstars group. All right. You can find me all around social media at Sort of Awesome Meg. The show is on Twitter at Sort of Awesome Pod. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sort of Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 